Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME. T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Heather Betridge, Associate Vice President of Practice Management Services at the Texas Medical Association. And this is Hot Topics, TMA's newest monthly podcast series with one of our favorite attorneys, Amanda Hill. Over the past decade, we've seen a lot of movement amongst medical practices, like solo physician practices merging and forming larger groups, and physicians selling their practices to hospital systems and third-party investment firms. It can be overwhelming, almost daunting, trying to navigate these situations with contracts and clauses and, and trying to keep up with all the rules, compliance, and regulatory changes. And it can be an expensive learning experience when physicians get into an unfavorable agreement or they're just too busy to think about regulations and compliance. Running a medical practice brings challenges for which medical school most likely didn't adequately prepare physicians. While we can't rewind the clock and take physicians back to school or their residency or fellowship programs and build in all the practice management, business development, and lessons learned into their training, but TMA can introduce physicians to content experts like Amanda Hill. Amanda is a speaker, author, and well-known healthcare attorney who serves physicians and practices throughout Texas. Welcome back, Amanda. Hi, thanks for having me. Last time, we talked about things that get overlooked when a practice grows too quickly or faster than anticipated. Today, I'd like to talk about some of the red flags 
or things that can get a physician in trouble when they're ready to sell or make a formal corporate change. It can be overwhelming, almost daunting, trying to navigate these situations with the contracts and clauses and trying to keep up with all the rules and compliance and regulatory changes. And it can be an expensive learning experience when physicians get into an unfavorable agreement or they're just moving too fast and don't think about compliance. So is this something you frequently see where physicians have made corporate level changes that get them into trouble? And and is there a smooth way to navigate those changes? Oh, Heather, I have so many stories about practice changes. We could talk all day, Uh, but sometimes it's smooth and sometimes it's not. Um, What we try to do is make every practice transition as smooth as possible. But many times doctors call me and they say, look, this is really simple. I'm selling my practice. It's a document. This guy's coming in and taking over and they're going to pay this much money and that's it. Can we be done in a couple of days? And I sort of shake my head and I say, well, that is great. I'm glad you found another partner that wants to take over your practice. Um, Are they taking over your staff? What about your nurse? What about your lease? Are they okay with signing the same lease? Is the lease assignable? Who's going to be the custodian of your medical records? What about Medicare? Are you going to take on the liability if you made a mistake in coding or billing? Or is the new buyer going to take on that liability? I mean, there's so many questions. So it's really not as simple as I have this hamburger and I am just giving it to you. And in exchange, you give me a dollar. When you're running a medical practice with patients, with regulations, with an EMR, with lots of contracts, it takes due diligence and it probably is going to take a couple of months at a minimum to work all of those out. So when you're entering in any kind of corporate deal, whether you're selling your practice, whether you're merging practices, it does take time and a lot of thought. You want to go into it with some basic deal terms, but you also want your lawyer or whoever you're working with to point out things that you might not even have thought of. So go into it with an open mind, knowing that you want to cover all of your bases and not be surprised later. Yes, those are great points. And you're absolutely right. It's never just a simple money exchange. And and there is a lot to think about. So what is the most common type of corporate transaction that you see? Probably the sale of a practice. And when I say sale, I mean um, a small solo practitioner is about to retire and maybe she wants out or she wants to sell to someone And she doesn't really want to stop working entirely. She just wants to be employed, maybe working one day a week. That's pretty common. Um, Something like that can be simple. Um, There's a lot of burnout when you run your own practice. And sometimes a provider just wants someone else to come in and run the show. And it might not be another doctor. It might be another company. There's lots of companies right now that are buying up medical practices left and right with the promises that you can just practice We'll give you an employment contract. You don't have to think about anything. We'll buy your practice and come in and manage it. And there is a lot of alluring points, right, about having someone come in and do that for you. So that's pretty common. I will say all the time I'm trying to negotiate an exit from a doctor's practice to a larger group 
or to another doctor that comes in to take it over. Um, and you just have to really be careful that you're getting what you're worth and that you know what you're worth. Cause a lot of doctors have no idea what their practice might be valued at. Yes. Yeah. Physician burnout is definitely a concerning problem. We hear more and more about it every day. So what is usually included in the sale of a medical practice? Well, there's different ways to go about it. One, you can structure it through an asset purchase agreement, which is basically like saying, I'm going to purchase all of the assets of your company. And assets are things like your name, your website, all of your equipment. We're going to take over your lease. Basically strip the company of everything it is by buying up all the assets. That's pretty common. You can also negotiate a medical records transfer. So, you know, in essence, you're buying the practice, but the original company still exists, even though it's a bit of a shell. The other way to do it is to do a stock purchase agreement, which is to literally buy the, the company itself and you are taking over that company. There's pros and cons. You might want to talk to your lawyer about which one's better. If you're taking on a company, though, you're going to be taking on that company debt that company liability, that company's relationships, which might be okay with you and it might not be. So a lot of times we do an asset purchase deal. So you're buying all of the things, all the relationships, you're taking over all the contracts, but you're letting the original company remain. And so it can continue to sort of function and wind down, but that's not your problem. That's Those are the two general ways that I see this transfer happening from one practice to another. Um, there are other ways where they try to merge and they try to be partners and they do that for a certain period of time until they switch over. So I've seen it all, but those are the most common ways. Okay. Yeah, that that's great to know. So if a physician wants to buy a practice or sell their practice, where do they start? What's the first step? Well, I'll tell you what's not the first step and that's jumping to the legal documents. The funniest thing I had a doctor call me and he said, We've already negotiated. He's going to buy my practice for this much money. It's all said and done. We just want you to draft it up. Can you get to it by the weekend? <laughs> I thought, okay, we got to back up. You know, there's a lot to talk about. If I were, I, I advise my clients, if I were you listening, I would start with this very strong letter of intent. And people skip that because they think it's just some silly letter and they've already come up with the terms of this deal and they don't need to waste their time. I find letters of intent extremely important and powerful. Like, yes, obviously you've already talked about money, but how is it going to be paid? How is it going to be structured? Is it going to be seller financing? Is it going to be a bank financing? Are they going to cut a check? Is it going to be over time? Who's taking over the lease? What happens with employees? How long can the, does the doctor have to work in the company before he or she can sort of move on into the sunset? And what is their non-compete going to look like? That you know, th These are all things that you need to talk about up front. And if you put them in a letter of intent, then it's so much easier to negotiate when it comes to the legal documents, because all of this has been put in writing. It's all been established. I can't tell you the number of times I hear later. Well, that's not what we agreed to. You're trying to pull a fast one on me. And then there's a fight and there's bad blood. And I always say, but you've already written it out into the letter of intent. You've both looked at it. You've both signed it. It's a really strong, powerful way of setting the deal, not in ink clearly, because they aren't binding, but setting it in pencil to where both of you can see all of the terms. 
And if you work with someone that's done this before, there's going to be lots of terms that you didn't even realize you needed to discuss. So all of that will be in the letter of intent and it's a lot easier to move forward. So if everything is in writing, can these deals get physicians in trouble though? Many times, yes. I mean, sometimes, especially if you don't work with a healthcare lawyer specifically and just work with a business lawyer, what if you form a joint venture in some way, you know, violate the anti-kickback statute because you didn't realize that one group couldn't use the other group's contracts? Or what if you form a joint venture that gives away all of your power and you don't really understand how the management or the financial side works and you ended up making less money than you thought you were going to make from the beginning? Or what if you had an improper investment? in another entity that you were just sure it was going to bring tons of dividends, but it didn't work out and it doesn't fall within the safe Harbor. So yes, these deals can get doctors in trouble. It's not about, you know, hiring me as your lawyer. It, I don't care who you hire, but please, for those listening, find a lawyer that knows a lot about healthcare because you don't want to be trapped. I have so much passion working with doctors and I want to save everyone. And I want to say, don't get into these deals. Don't get trapped. Don't violate the fraud and abuse rules. So it's, it's just something that doctors are not trained in is the thing. So you don't want them to get into a bad situation. That's going to have to cost them $30,000 to get out of. It's much more valuable in my opinion, to spend 1500 bucks and have a lawyer review something before you sign it, rather than having to get yourself out of a bad deal. Right, right. Okay, so what are some important things that something, something slips through the cracks, things that physicians don't think about when they merge their practice with another? Well, you know, this is one that I've seen lately that I didn't really expect. And it kind of came out of left field. You know, doctors say all the time, oh, I can't stand running this place. I just want to practice medicine. I just can't wait for the day where I just come in as an employee, you know, clock in, clock out, bring my lunchbox. I mean, metaphorically, right? But they don't have to deal with the burdens of running the practice. And then the irony is when they start into a situation where someone else is actually managing the practice, my, the doctors are like, whoa, 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 this is not how I want things run. This is not how we do things. I don't like how you're handling the situation. And it's kind of a sticky thing because it's like, this is what you wanted. You wanted someone to come in and run the practice, but now you, you still want to run it, even though you have this management services agreement or a joint venture with another group and you fully expected someone else to take over. So sometimes when it, you need to discuss these things up front. What is the practice style um, that you're looking for? Is this group or this doctor or whoever's going to run your show something that you really can get behind, right? Because you don't want to live in sheer abject terror for years because someone is running the practice so very different from how you did it. And I see that come up more than you'd think. I hear on one hand, I don't want to run the practice, but yet they don't really want anyone to run it any different. And I mean, slightly different is bothersome. So this is something that needs to be discussed really early on is like, are we going to come to head on this? Are we going to come at, to a meeting of the minds about how this place is going to be run? Because if a doctor can't let go, and if every single detail has to be run through the physician, even though he's gone through this transition, then it's not going to work. Yeah. Talking about details later can be incredibly problematic. Now, if a physician is going to sell 
how do they get to setting a prize? How do they put a value on the practice? You know, good question, Heather. That comes up every single deal I've ever done. And usually the doctor thinks their practice is worth a lot more than it is. Just going to be honest, Mm -hmm. right? They say, well, surely, I mean, all the goodwill in this community and everyone knows me and I have all these contacts. Surely my practice is worth one and a half million. (laughs) And then they are sadly realizing that, well, that's not really what someone's going to pay for this practice, right? I mean, um, unless you have a huge amount of equipment, which certainly is a variable that can change things. Some specialties have a lot more equipment and a lot more costs and a lot more, you know, procedure rooms and certain spaces. All of that adds up to a different valuation, but it is really difficult to estimate the value of your own practice because everyone is going to overvalue their own practice. I, I always advise doctors to get a valuator, right? Get someone in there that works for you, not the other side presenting numbers to you, but get a good understanding of where you are as far as value. So when you go out and try to get a deal, you don't constantly think you're getting taken advantage of, you know, that what people are offering is about within market range. So it's really important to know that going in. Right. There's, there's a lot of moving parts and variables to take into consideration. Now, once terms are agreed upon and a sale is made or any other, uh, say corporate changes made, what are a physician's obligations for notifying patients? So under the Texas Medical Board rules, um, you have to provide notification to your patients if you're leaving a, a practice. It's uh, The gold standard is 30 days, so you want to provide 30 days notice to patients when you're leaving. It's all outlined in state law. It's pretty simple to understand. There's three things that you have to do. You write a letter to a patient, which now is email. Thank heavens they changed that. <laughs> it's a lot easier to email a patient than a written letter. You have to post a notice in the practice that you're leaving with 30 days notice. And you're supposed to put it in the paper, which is silly because nobody reads these, but you're required to put it in the paper um, in the circulation where you live. So you do those three things, notify patients that you're leaving. And there's sometimes a fight because the group that you know, is taking over, might want to send out the letter on your behalf. And it can be kind of tense because you're like, well, these are really my patients and I need to let them know I'm leaving and I want to say goodbye. And I, so sometimes it can get a little awkward, these patient letters and the list involved. So that's something that you want to think about up front is, you know, if, if you're going to continue working there, let's say you're selling your practice, it might just be an FYI letter. Um, you're not leaving the practice, but if you're exiting stage left and some group is buying you out and you're leaving, then you need to let patients know, Hey, I'm not going to be here as of X date. And this is how you can transfer your records. And this is how you can get a hold of me. Yeah, we see the same thing. Patient notification always seems to be just a little contentious. So Then what happens to the medical records if a practice closes? And what about all the the tax and personnel records? Well, this is something you absolutely have to consider. I mean, is the new practice going to take over custodianship of those records? That typically is how it happens, right? The new practice is like, well, part of the value of your company is your patients. (laughs) So we want (laughs) to take them over and they will take over custodianship. But sometimes they don't want them for whatever reason. They say, no, you know, you can leave your patients over here. We're changing tactics. And if that's the case, then you're still responsible for those records. 
So that's something you have to talk about right up front, right? Who, and, and if you're closing your practice and you're not uh, selling it to anyone, it's just closing down completely and you're left with hundreds of medical records, then you need to talk to the medical board and they can take over custodianship for you. That's typically not what happens. I mean, most of the time they sell it to another group who is absolutely welcoming patient <laughs> records, but it's something that you do have to flesh out, right? These records can't just sit in cyberspace universe with no home. They have to have a custodian. Yes. Amanda, it is always such a pleasure to speak with you and to listen to your practical, just real life examples and experiences. How can physicians learn more? Well, you can email me. I'm, I try to send everyone who sends me an email a summary of the podcast. I'm help, very open to hearing a few thoughts about different topics coming up. But yeah, get a hold of me on my website, hillhealthlaw.com. And just reach out on the contact form and I'll be happy to answer any questions. Great. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. And to our listeners, a link to email Amanda is included in the podcast episode description. To claim CME, just click the link to the TMA Education Center and follow the instructions on the CME to go page for this episode. We hope you found our discussion beneficial. Check back for the next episode of Hot Topics where Amanda will share her guidance on common compliance laws that can get you into hot water. Until next time, stay well. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit TexMed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today.